Hello, and welcome to Network Collective. There is no question that public cloud services are changing the way that companies are building infrastructure, but connecting to those public clouds is not necessarily as easy as it may seem. Today, we're gonna to talk about your options when connecting to these services and some of the things to consider when you're doing so. So uh, settle in and grab your favorite beverage because we're about to get started. Today, we have two excellent engineers who are here to talk to us about cloud connectivity, Miguel Villarreal and Scott Wheeler. So guys, what are some of the common challenges when it comes to connecting to the cloud? Well, um, some of the main things that we've been experiencing when customers are connecting to the cloud, the first thing is the software team is trying to do the connection. Um, they're trying to find a way to do the connection without uh, getting the networking team involved. So that's usually the, the first thing. Uh, cloud is uh, more of a shadow IT uh, solution for organizations to connect quickly. And so uh, what you find is, in, in our experience at least, uh, we find that the software developers talk to an outside um, cloud consulting company and they want to spin up certain resources and they want to get connectivity and they kind of walk them through the web page of, okay, here's uh, the Google Cloud Direct Interconnect web page on how to connect uh, to it. They'll try as much as they can secretly, and then they run into major issues, and then they have to get the networking team involved. Uh, wait, so wait, the, isn't the cloud just the internet? I mean, really? Isn't it just the internet? <laughs> yeah, it's just the internet. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts Guys, of, it's done. This is the quickest show ever. We've solved yeah. it. It's just the internet. <laughs> no, I, the, inter the internet. The internet. Mm -hmm. Period. Yes. End of show. Period. Uh, yes. No. So, so you're saying it's more intentional. See, I was, I've always wondered, is this more of an intentional thing? Like, I just don't want to include the networking people because they get in my way and they're so slow and they just don't adapt well. Or is it a convenience thing? If I include them, now all of a sudden there's just an extra group of people that have to agree with every decision we make. It's so much easier if, you know, we can just go buy the service on our own without having to include them. So do you think it's, do you think it's convenience or do you think it's avoiding uh, someone standing in the way? I think it's both, right? I mean, I've I, I, I've, it is both. I mean, so really at the end of the day, cloud architectures come out of a software mindset. It is, it is a software driven architecture uh, to consume quickly, to follow a DevOps uh, CI CD model. And uh, the networking and security team are very traditional on command line or policies and, and, and procedures and, and change control. And it does, they don't marry very well, hence the reason why there's so much confusion around it, at least from my standpoint. And, I, and I'd throw the security group on, on with the, the networking group as well. Usually they're part and parcel to you know, that process of, of cloud connectivity. And, and usually it's this, the same thing for, for both groups. It's, it's avoidance by the app groups. And that's usually why the first step you see in an app group connected to the cloud, it'll be VPN, right? Because any of these, you know, direct connect or express route for Amazon or Azure, I mean, those are, those are things that take effort and absolutely have to have the networking group in there. Where VPN, a lot of times there's ways to sneak that in and then yeah. uh, when bandwidth becomes an issue, then everybody's at the table and that, that's usually when, you know, the stuff really yeah. happens, right? Exactly. Interesting. So, you know, the, the first step is that it may not necessarily be the right people. Is that what I'm hearing? It's not the right people who are building the connectivity. So that's like the first challenge is yeah. maybe, maybe the fact that it's, you know, app teams avoiding it. Um, I imagine that, you know, for most serious cloud operations, eventually it makes it back to the networking team. <laughs> like someone in some ways has to say, okay, we need someone who actually understands how to move packets to, to right. make some decisions about what the most efficient way is. And now all of a sudden we're retrofitting. Yeah, and, and really, it's 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 usually, I, I hate to lay this at the feet of the cloud providers, but if you go in and you talk with an Amazon or an Azure or, uh, you know, a Microsoft, right, or, or Google, they really don't have any understanding um, of anything around or don't care about anything outside the cloud, because that's somebody else's domain usually in the enterprise, right? So cloud providers, when they come in, usually don't talk about those aspects of connectivity. It's more, we, we have a checkbox, we have a way to connect if you want to, but most of the time they don't say to app groups, hey, you really need to engage 
the networking team or the or the security team because down the road you're really going to need this um you know when you really integrate like an enterprise right so it's it's facilitated a little bit i mean there's some blame to put at the the feet of the cloud providers um especially from a, a an enterprise uh, connectivity um, from what i think there might be might be some more, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I look at it and say it's it's in their best interest for you actually not to connect. They just want you to build the whole thing in their, yeah. <laughs> in their ecosystem. Like if they give you a method to connect, it's only going to be a par- portion of your infrastructure. So for them, exactly. of course, it's better. So yeah, yeah, I can see them not leading. Yeah, they're not, they're, they're not, they're, they're, CSPs are not encouraging uh, their software teams or the, the, the software teams is their new customer. So basically the shift has moved from network engineers and security engineers or architects in that case. And now the conversation is moving to the software team where the software team actually is guiding and giving direction on how these environments need to be set up because these cloud environments are catered for software services. Um, it's exactly what uh, Scott was talking about is later on during the process when they start running into bandwidth issues where they're not able to get the performance where they finally get the networking teams involved. And um, it's not to knock the networking teams. It's just the, 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 the ideology of cloud is rapid, fast, distributed. And in the networking, it's all, it's usually been, more designing and building following standards and something that is repeatable, building pipes and infrastructure that are consistent and coherent, not rapid and agile and fluid. So it's just two worlds colliding, basically. One thing I want to throw in, because it was interesting comment you made about um, uh, the the cloud groups and, and what what do the cloud providers really want to do as far as bandwidth? That really the first time that, that you're going to see a cloud provider, an app group, really want to change from a VPN into a direct connect and really involve the networking team is usually on app migration, which plays into what you were saying about they really wanted things in their in their domain and put it out there. So that's usually the first thing is you don't have enough bandwidth to move massive amounts of VMs over from on-prem into the cloud. And that's usually the lens that that they first view it in. Well, and don't you think that the cloud, at least right now, and maybe it's coming out of this, has kind of been the wild, wild west, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, people get in there and they play around and they build stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's no thing more permanent than a temporary solution. So they've built this little app that does this little thing and then people start using it. And then we have some infrastructure out there that may not be IP addressed properly. It may not have been built for resiliency or redundancy. And yes, those things still matter and you have to think about them in the cloud. And, and so it's just kind of messy because there aren't lots of validated architectures out there yet, which does allow people to move faster, but it also creates a bigger mess in in some ways. Agreed. Agreed. I think the, to hit your point, Yvonne is basically when the cloud uh, providers came out with this architecture and the solution, the goal was to get people to move all of their data to the cloud, to use the entire um, cloud services as the infrastructure platform or software stack. Uh, and that's really their vision. That's Amazon's vision, that's Google's vision and Azure's and, and, and Oracle's. Their, their whole goal is to have IT services function in the cloud and that you're just dealing with express routes, direct connects, direct interconnects and the like. And, 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 and there's really the networking team is either morphing into more of a, I would call them a net ops, a net DevOps kind of person where they're helping support some of the network functions or network function virtualization in the cloud but they're not doing what they're doing before, which is building BGP routes and policies and, and configuring routers and switches. That's something that is being done either through a controller, through a template, um, or through the actual um, build environment when uh, the, the software developer is uh, migrating or building a cloud infrastructure or a cloud uh, stack. Um, those networking components are tied in with security groups and ACLs and and the like, and it's it's basically a done 
deal. That's really the perception um, that they're trying to promote heavily. Well, and I think if we're talking about challenges with the cloud, um, they're not the same, right? You got Google, you got Azure, you got uh, AWS, and they are each their own monolith in sort of a way. And so if you build services on one, they don't necessarily work on another. Um, depending on what services you use and how you build them, they certainly don't connect the same way. Um, and, and so you hear phrases like multi-cloud and hybrid cloud, but I don't think organizationally we often understand what that means and that there's a whole bundle of complexities there to, to make everything talk. I mean, you just, it's still, they've still got to talk to one another and the answer isn't just, oh, well, internet. No, and, and you don't want it to be that way. I mean, the problem that I've seen in... God, when did Amazon VPCs came out? Maybe uh, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. And the issue is that, you know, uh, like myself, being come from an application architect, not from a networking standpoint, you'd never really had until probably in the last couple of years, you never really had network people helping you with what your network topology looks like in the cloud from a routing, what ACLs do you need? I mean, it was really usually late to the party that that would come in. And and you're absolutely right. It's different in in Amazon versus Azure. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that those are those were always and still are challenges, right? I mean, and and understanding how the network routes between the two. Do people go through the internet to peer between multi-cloud? Do they go back and and hairpin through on-prem? I mean, those are all those are all still issues, right? Uh, major issues. I mean, when Amazon is advertising their autonomous system via BGP to a customer and you're trying to connect to another software as a service and they're advertising the same autonomous system back to you, how does that guy solve that problem? You know, they're, <laughs> they're wondering, oh, uh, how does this work? You know, and that's where the networking guys come, uh, networking architects come in or network engineers come in. They're still needed, right? There's fundamental network tr- typologies that are still in play, no matter how much control plane um, architectures that are out in the industry. Mm-hmm. Still, network engineers are still needed, and those traditional concepts are tried and true, tested and proven, and they need to work cohesively. A perfect example is a, a project that Miguel and I were on. Um, you know, the concept of thinking about cloud is one thing, but think about SaaS providers, right? What you don't realize, and it, it's really accelerating now, is a lot of SaaS providers exist in the big public cloud providers like Amazon or Azure. And we had a situation where um, not thinking about it beforehand and not getting probably enough involvement in thinking through the networking side of, of, of the problem. When you have an Amazon Direct Connect, there's a public and a private you know, connection on those. And the public connection uh, points to the address space that, guess what, SaaS providers that exist in, in, in Amazon live in, right? So all of a sudden, network traffic that's being routed you know, for SaaS providers like, say, Okta through you know, internet or however you're doing it now, now you have another route that's going through direct yeah. connect. And, you know, in that case, we had an issue, right, uh, with routing. Um, so you really have to get networking people involved and understand what am I consuming out there because you have to know where these providers are. Do they exist in the cloud? Is that going to have a routing problem running through my public connection to the cloud? You know, yeah. where where do things live? And these are, are things that, you know, application teams don't have the skill set to, to deal with. You really have to have a networking team very involved to address that. I want to go back to the <coughs> application, you know, centric focus on this for a second. I don't necessarily think it's just the application teams who are building in the cloud. You can tell... It, or at least to me, it's pretty obvious that it was an application mindset that's also delivering and naming the services. Um, and so I look at it as a, as a network guy who's had to, had to connect to the cloud before, and the terminology is completely different for all of the same technologies we already use today. And it's different in each and every service. And we've reused terms. You've already brought it up. Amazon's VPC. Well, that means something different to networking people than it does to people who are used to working (laughs) in AWS, right? Like that term already exists or that acronym already exists and it means something completely different. And now I have a software guy coming telling me, well, my VPC can't talk to this. And we're like, 
what are you talking about? When, when, did so you, like, when did you put a pair of switches out in the cloud? Right. Exactly. Like, like <laughs> I didn't realize Amazon was running Nexus. That's kind Nexus, of cool. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> easy enough. <laughs> so, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it seems like, uh, it seems like the terminology was not built by networking people. <laughs> and, and so it makes it very challenging, right? I mean, to me, no, uh, it's just my own opinion. It's, it's, it's totally, it's not, I, we, we, I had the privilege, um, in my past life working at a manufacturer and wasn't Cisco um, where the, the whole ethos was building um, their these public and uh, public clouds. And um, to be really honest with you, you know, the, the, from a manufacturer standpoint, yeah, we had to understand RFCs very well and PLS, um, you know, rosin draft and, but when it came to actually doing a lot of the implementation, the rock stars weren't the network engineers. Um, it were the, actually the, the software developers that were building the Ansible Tower environments or the Terraform environments that scripted and automated the switch to talk to a zero touch provision network switch that ran Linux on it and was making API calls and, 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 and you're you, doing data visualization to, to check exactly which which was getting its correct uh, configuration. So I, th there is a disruption that has happened. Um, I think, um, you know, what, what at the manufacturer, what we learned was um, hardware routers and switches are still needed no matter what, as, as much as the control plane has been able, to, or the hypervisor plane has been able to solve a lot of problems and, and virtualize a lot of things. We still run into physics issues, right? Um, I/O and and, mm -hmm. and and bad code and and things like that. So you haven't solved uh, the speed of light problem yet with the cloud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah, the cloud. I mean, the cloud, the cloud. You <laughs> go to the cloud and the package just optically and photonically appear on the other side, faster than a <laughs> millimeter wave. You know, the traders don't even understand it, right? So I don't know why they're not doing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> And that's that's an issue, right? I mean, the latency thing is really an issue. You're you're sitting in you know Chicago, and your cloud provider's in you know Northern Virginia, say for Amazon, and you're trying to service people in New York. You, you know, it's it's more of an issue now because now you've added a third party, you know, that you have to route to, and you're adding latency, right? I mean, just by the nature of of distance, right? So it's an issue. You have to pay attention to that. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the most misunderstood things yeah. in networking when it comes to software and application people, which it doesn't surprise me that it rears its ugly head in, in a cloud environment that seems very software and developer focused, uh, is this idea of latency and the impact to applications. Uh, you know, it, and this is, this is one of those things that where, you know, the network team finally gets involved and they go, you're doing what? You're trying to run, you know, this database call across where, you know, oh, that's like, just not going to work. And then they look at you like you have three heads and you're being all negative and you're like, well, you know, okay. Now, now Google, now, now Google goes out there and, 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 and brags about that their edge nodes have the capability of doing so, some, somewhat of a GTM capability without using DNS, right? So it, it has the ability to look at the caching edge nodes to actually see where traffic's coming from a latency packet loss SDN perspective, um, but not every cloud provider is doing that, right? And not every pro cloud provider has connections at every interconnect or every pop. And so, uh, you still have that latency issue, right? IPsec or VPNs are not the most uh, efficient way of tra traversing real-time data. We know that, right? There's latency and overhead that happens and, um, on particular data paths or data traffic flows that have to go through that type of uh, encryption um, perspective. Uh, they run into issues when they bring those services up saying, oh, I wonder why our voice and our data services are starting to have massive jitter because they're not thinking about latency, as you're saying. Um, some of the cloud providers are getting smarter where they're learning to use these controllers that can look at application flow and do dynamic algorithms to look at um, latency and uh, round trip times. Uh, so they, they are getting better. Uh, they are borrowing a lot of techniques from ADCs or LTMs or low balancers, as we call them. 
Um, they're borrowing a lot of those concepts and putting them in controllers. So they are getting smarter and they are catching up. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I just think there's a cohesiveness that needs to happen. Network engineers, network architects, security engineers, security architects need to learn the software developer paradigms. They need to learn how to script. They need to know how to program. The industry is changing, and um, but I don't think it's it's coming the right direction. I think the software team has been pushing it down the networking team's throats. Um, they're fighting, and 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 they're not you know adopting it very quickly. Uh, and so there's a there's a battle that's happening, and um, it's it's only through like relationships that we have with uh, companies like what Scott's working with, where we can actually work together. We need, we've learned that we need each other. Um, to actually actually implement a, a solution, and so that's uh, yeah. Well, and I think I think this might be a good time. So I, I hear a lot of network engineers say things like, "Well, why the cloud? I don't I don't understand the cloud. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. We have we have infrastructure here. Why do we want to go run it out there? I don't think it's going to be any cheaper. You know, like mm -hmm. things like that. What? What as network engineers do we need to understand to help us maybe get past the why question? Like, why do yeah. I need to care? The, the, the biggest the biggest advantage that people are looking for, other than pressing the easy button, which a lot of times your your C suite is like, well, we need to press the easy button and we move all our data centers out there, right? Which everybody that's been through the process knows it's it's it doesn't work like that. It's not that easy. Um, but the bottom line is, when it does work, the the value is. It's it's speed to market, time to market, right? Yeah. If if I have a, if I have you know in a large organization, 50, 100, 200 developers, right, and and I make them ten percent more efficient, right, because of how fast they can develop, how fast they can get something out, right? That is a significant amount of money. Um, software development is not cheap, and if you can do that, you're going to save a lot of money. It's not. Everybody thinks it's uh, it's not cheaper because of compute or storage, right? Or networking. That's not the issue. The 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 cost is totally inverted. Where you you want to optimize people time, because hardware and 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 the rest of it is is that's not the big cost component, right? If I can run servers in the cloud or on prem for pennies an hour. Um, I'm really concerned about the developer I'm paying, you know, 60, 70, $120 an hour for. That's the resource I want to optimize. And that's what cloud's all about. So if you look at it, if you look at the hierarchy of where you get the most value, if I buy software as a service, if I have a SaaS solution, that's going to be maximum dollar, right? Because I put it in there, I put in my users, and it's done. So you get maximum value. The next level down would be PaaS, right? I'm going to use a database server. I'm going to reduce the number of DBAs I need and all the rest of that, right? And then the last is IaaS. But people tend to invert that. And when they talk about cloud, they focus on IaaS first. Oh, how can I get compute cheaper? I don't understand this. That's because they're thinking about it in reverse. The, the least amount of value you're going to have in the cloud is IaaS. The most is SaaS or PaaS. So, I mean, in yeah. my mind, that's what I've seen. And that's, that's the game that's going on money-wise. That's a really great explanation. Uh, it, it, I think, I mean, uh, speaking from my own experience, I had initially some pushback when I first started, you know, uh, a company I was working at moving to cloud services, not because I disagreed with the idea that the model could be better, but that the model could be cheaper. And, and a lot of it was because the fact that they were, they were thinking exactly like you said, uh, it was, it was inverted. They were, they were looking at infrastructure as a service as, you know, we're going to move this to OpEx and it's going to be so much cheaper. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, hold on. It requires the same engineering talent that we need. It requires the same servers yeah. that we need. It requires the same, everything that we have. So they might have an economy of scale, but they also have the burden of making a profit. <laughs> which is going to have, it's going to wipe out any economy of scale arguments. I'm looking at this and I'm like, in the long term, this can't be cheaper when you look at just a, a straight infrastructure play. But you're absolutely right when you talk about right. software as a service or you're talking about plat you know, uh, platform as a service. Mm -hmm. uh, those change the equation quite a bit. And infrastructure as a service can help when you talk about some of the features. It might be worth paying more for scalability or time to market or some of those other things. But to say that infrastructure as a service is going to be a cost savings, I think we're all learning. If we haven't yet, we're all learning. Uh, infrastructure as a service is not necessarily a cost savings move. Right. The only way you're going to save on infrastructure as a service is, is the big savings are in testing and development, right? 
anytime sure. that you can have you or, or you have bursty workloads, right? Like I say, I have a customer that's doing um, genome research and they need a thousand nodes, but they only need it 10 hours a month kind of thing, right? I mean, for the thing where you have high variability of your load, mm -hmm. that's where you're going to be able to, because you're paying by the drink, right? So those kind of workloads like testing and things like that are going to be where you have value. But, you know, if you don't have that, you know, you're not, that's really not where you're going to, you're going to make hay, right? You're, you're really going to look at PaaS or SaaS to do that. But, um, but some, some use cases are like that. Some use cases you do have bursty workloads or things. And, and that really makes the, and that's usually, if you look at uh, the, the use cases or the success stories that come out from Microsoft or Amazon, you'll notice that a lot of times it, it, it fits that kind of use case, right? Somebody who- They're retail. Yeah. <laughs> Right. They're retail yeah. preparing for Black Friday. Those are the success right. stories of cloud and scalability. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's what changes the, the conversation because anybody that doesn't have that immediately goes, well, that's not my use case and therefore where's the value? And that's the problem, right? right? Well, I mean, yeah. but those are, ask that question, right? What, where does this fit for my business or my organization? I think one of the things as I listen to this conversation is that we as network engineers have to get closer to the business. We have to understand what the business needs so that, you know, when they come to us and say, here are my priorities, we don't go, well, you know, that whole cloud stuff mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, and, and it may not make a ton of sense to you in your little enclave of the world, but, you know, you, you we don't exist just for IT, you know, we exist for the business. And so we have to think beyond our little bubble. Exactly. That's a, that's a great statement, Yvonne. And I think that's exactly the, the, the clarion call that's coming out of the manifestation of the cloud environment is network engineers. You used to be plumbers and you used to just service the tech IT technology that's local uh, businesses are becoming smarter, AI, IoT, machine learning, neural networks, all these smart things that are happening that robots are starting to do. And, and it could be repeatable functions that are happening, um, such as your job in a factory, right? Uh, you know, and, and so now network engineers have to get closer to, to the business objectives. Software teams have always been there. Um, as you know, Scott talked about, software is the main thing that's generating a lot of the money network engineers um, are actually the builders of those infrastructures, but they now have to start to align themselves to the business agenda and objectives. And they do that by adopting a cloud like concept model. Right. I don't, I don't think everything is, I, I think 2018, you're going to hear a little bit more about hybrid cloud solutions. Enterprises are going to uh, adopt more of a, we, we need some local stuff, but we need some things that we need to move and migrate into the cloud. Um, uh, you know, we talked about retail that, you know, AI and IOT and big data, every company has some type of um, intelligence that they want to extract out of data that they have locally. That whole rise will cause um, then the network to have to be agile quick to respond. Uh, it cannot wait two weeks for, you know, a change control to go through. They're going to have to be some type of automated orchestrated uh, function that has to happen. And, um, you know, the networking has had that for a long time. It's just now um, we're being forced to, you know, to learn those skill sets to become. Uh, I, I think, I think it's an interesting time to be a network engineer or architect. Uh, and, and so I think that, you know, some of the reputation of being slow to respond and slow to build is deserved. Um, but some of it, I think it is because we've been given a completely different, you know, mission or set of goals. And all of a sudden the carpet was pulled out from underneath us. So before it was all about resiliency. It cannot go down. Uptime has to be 100%. And if it's not 100%, you failed. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, resiliency might be second or third on the list. Now I just need it like three seconds from now. I need you to press a button. I need to, and I need, I need the easy button for networking. And I think network engineers are left and going like, okay, well, which is it? Right. Because I don't think, I don't know. I haven't met very many engineers who are hostile to the idea of making things faster right. and deploying them in an automated fashion. I just think it sits at odds with everything they've been taught for the past 20 years when it comes to enterprise networking. And that is that, you know, uh, we have to build these super resilient, super fault tolerant systems, which do not happen overnight. 
<laughs> it just it's just yeah. not something that happens very very quickly and so it's this yeah. balance of and so the and i think network engineers and architects who can live that balance can do very well for themselves because you'll earn yourself a seat at the table because of the fact that you can speak to the business and understand the drive, but also be a bit of the brakes that pulls you back from the craziness that can't be, oh yeah, we just press this button and now it works. That's not always right. true. And so you can, you can provide value by being both receptive and open and, and understanding the business needs and trying to meet them as best as possible, but also providing the insight that your experience provides by looking at the fact and saying, adding 150 milliseconds latency to the database calls a really bad idea. Maybe we should stop, think about this before we go and do it, right? Like, I mean, like there's, there's, there's this interesting balance where the network architect is gonna live in, in sitting on both sides of that fence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. I also think, and, and Miguel can keep me honest on this, I also think that a lot of what's being asked of, of the networking teams now are, are more um, WAN-oriented than they ever were before. A lot of times it was within the four walls of the data center. It was basic routing and things like that. And it seems like now it's, it's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Miguel, but it seems like with the cloud, there's a lot more emphasis on, on WAN and just like things like that you wouldn't see as much like BGP in that. I mean, do mm -hmm. you disagree? I just, I just see more of that um, for the enterprise uh, networking crew than, no, than in the I past. I agree. I think I think once uh, the the enterprise in, or you know a company learns that IPsec or VPNs are not really the the route for them to scale into the cloud, and they start to get into the direct connect side, all of them talk about BGP as the, the way of communication. Um, unfortunately, it starts to highlight some of the weaknesses that are in some of the network engineers. They've been able to get away with a lot of. Um, technologies like ERGRP or OSPF across tunnels and, and, and all sorts of IGP protocols across uh, MPLS networks that way and, and, and let the WAN service providers do a lot of the heavy lifting. But now with cloud, uh, they have to look at things like MPLS, BGP, VPN before or VRF concepts and, and route targets and things that are a little bit more complex, um, not hard. Um, fairly straightforward and, and easy for a network engineers. It's just, they are not used to, not everyone's used to doing BGP um, at, in that fashion. Um, when you're doing BGP with uh, a cloud service provider, particularly when you're using multiple direct connects, you need to think about things like BFD and load sharing across those uh, BGP connections. Um, techniques like, um, you know, dot one queue tunneling again and, and um, you know, what happens when an autonomous systems number comes back in the path, um, you know, using allow ASNs and, and different techniques like that, that usually more CCIE level engineers are used to um, digging into that. Um, I think more CCNA, CCMP level engineers have been able to get away with that lack of knowledge of knowing how to do that. And, and that's really what we've been so profitable now right is really helping the network engineer teams that are struggling understanding how do i take two verbs and leak that into the global table and not leak all the routes but filter that using uh, um you know route route maps and and different prefix lists to do certain techniques like that that's where it starts to get very complex but that knowledge network engineers know they have those tool sets right it's just now it's there it's needed ever ever more right now so yeah when a good example um i know somebody was i think it was maybe scott talking earlier about you know public peering with aws and private peering and and they don't really call it that they have their direct connect circuit but your, your SaaS services are going to live on public ip space and your is services may live on private ip space and and um, I've seen this in my organization that that people think, well, we're getting a direct connect to AWS. So all of our traffic to AWS is just going to go that way. Well, it's not quite that simple because yeah. it depends on whether you you receive their public routes from AWS and then you get all of their public routes. But they're not contiguous. There are issues with, you know, you got to think about how you're going to summarize those. If you're going to summarize them, what happens yeah. if those routes go into your IGP? There, there's a lot to think about. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you have uh, the business is saying, well, we're, we're doing S3 storage on AWS. Well, when we get our circuit in, won't it just go that way? 
Uh, not necessarily, no, not if you're not sending those routes in. And so you've got to be able to understand the AWS services enough mm-hmm. to know where they live to ask those right questions because they may expect that you're going to deliver a service that, that you can't or that's going to take some more heavy lifting from an engineering standpoint to be sure that you can send traffic that way. I hear this. (laughs) I hear this. And I'm just so surprised (laughs) that we haven't blown up our networks more. Maybe we have, and we just aren't talking about it, but I'm listening to this and I'm like, how, how are we not hearing about like a big network every week that's blown up by some, some, you know, software developer who connected over VPN and somehow re-injected routes back into some, or, you know, like some crazy thing like that. Like it seems like it would happen more often. Because no, we're right. all doing static routes on our firewalls, Jordan. Is right. that why? Right. Static routes right, right, save right. the day. Right, right. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But you know what? There is issues. There's issues where customers are actually learning that particularly the connections are not going through the direct connect. They're actually going out to the internet and then wrapping themselves around. That is happening. And the reason why uh, people are blowing up their network, things are getting slower. They're just not able to find those because the right tools are not in place. It just takes um, a software developer to say, hey, I'm making these RPC calls to a particular uh, you know, storage stack that I have here. And all of a sudden it's increased by 50 milliseconds. What the heck's going on? I don't know. It works. The network's um, slow. It's, it's that, yeah. Yeah. The network is slow and, and and that's what's happening. Right. So, I mean, you're joking about it, Jordan, but that's, that's well, actually I, I, what we're I'm, I'm half joking about it. Like I, I, maybe I'm just not hearing about it. Like, I mean, I work as a, as a consultant, so I'm in a lot of places and I'm not hearing about it all the time. I'm surprised I don't see it more often. Right. Uh, just, depends, just, with, just with the challenges. It depends what level the organizations. I mean, really, enterprise use of the cloud is really only starting to kick up in the past year and a half to two years. And, That's true. You know, so you really yeah. haven't seen it. I mean, I've seen it in um, migrations. I've seen it in S3 when they're trying to do do migrations and that tests it, or S3 in Amazon for when they are doing backup as a service. And, and they'll blow it up because if they don't get the routes right for and don't go over direct connect, they blow up their internet connection. And that that's happened multiple times. I just, I just, I think yeah, all of our listeners, seen it happen multiple times. <laughs> all, all of our listeners should stop right now, put a bookmark in this section right here. And the next time someone tells you that cloud is going to make network engineering irrelevant, just come right. back and listen to this no, section of the no. conversation. It's no. just not going to happen. No, Networking still has fundamental hard. challenges. Yeah. They're still going to need to be people who understand how traffic flows and the optimal way to do that and what failover looks like. It's just, the more I talk about it, the more I am not convinced of those people who say network engineering just isn't going to matter. We, fact, we, uh, we, haven't even, we haven't even, I'm sorry, Scott, go for, go for it. No, no. I was just going to say quickly, we see networking as the first piece, right? When you go into yeah. cloud. Because everybody's going multi-hybrid cloud. So it's I think it's foundational. Absolutely. Right. Without a doubt. If you're going to do it right. Right. And like, we haven't even talked about, you know, I mean, Google, they use NFE routers, right? So there's the multi-hop concept that needs to happen. You know, the, the, there's deeper levels. Every service provider has a different technique. Um, AWS does not, not allow you to uh, advertise any more routes than I think 100 routes or it's something. It's 100 prefixes. Right. 100 prefixes. And we had issues. It seems where, where, so limiting. It is. It's 100, so 100, limiting. 100 it's like prefix. 100? 100 prefixes into their cloud. Right. Yes. Right. So you, right. you have to be able to summarize your internal network. Yeah. into 100 prefixes. It's like a right. haiku, right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if you've, if you've done well, you might be able to lead away with RFC 1918, but do they accept those? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like On the like, private side, like, sure. On the private side. But yeah. then if you're peering with public services, you've, you've got to send a public AS number and public mm-hmm. IPs. And so then you've got natting issues and you've got firewall issues and you've got state issues. And if you get yeah. asynchronous routing going, then you've broken something because you've broken state. And, you know, it's, it's the same new problems. 
Networking is still just as hard as it's always been. It doesn't matter where the router sits. Where's Russ talking about rule 11, right? We yeah, can, yeah. We've seen it before. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so guys, I wanted to talk a little bit. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> I imagine we could do two or three shows talking about the challenges and we've kind of lived there and, and riffed on that for quite a while. Let's talk about the different providers and maybe some of the unique things about them. Like let's touch on, you know, we, we mentioned VPCs before. What is that? Let's talk about a little bit of the terminology. Let's try to uh, try to step through maybe some of the, you know, pick one or two of the more unique things about each of the platforms that, that may or may not be a hurdle um, right. for, for someone deploying and connecting to those cloud services. Yeah, Amazon has uh, VPCs, which are virtual private clouds. Um, Azure has VNets, where basically this, the same thing. Uh, it's a virtual network space that you define. Uh, say it's like a, a 10.something slash 16, for example. So, um, so a network space would be like a broadcast domain? Basically, yeah. Okay. Kind of, but not really. Like, if, okay. you know, if you assign a slash 16 in, in AWS, for example, I don't think you're going to have to worry about ARPing like you would in. Right. Not, not the same problem. challenges. Right. Yeah, not right. the but, same but, challenges. But when you define a VPC, you are. your scope is going to be determined by the address space allocated to it. Is that right. correct? Yes. Exactly. In both okay. cases. And then within okay. that, you, you define your subnets. Um, or, you know, your VNets in the case of, of Azure. And, and the main difference really between, between the two at a very high level is um, in, in Amazon, it's a, um, it's a um, uh, would you, I, I guess, let me reverse that. In Azure, it's a permissive kind of environment where um, if you define your, your subnets out there and everything gets to connect to everything, whether it's public or private, and then you restrict from there. Um, where Amazon is more of um, a closed down environment that within the VPC and the subnets, you can communicate by default when you generate it. But to connect outside of it, you have to use an internet gateway. You have to define these things that allow you to connect out. It doesn't just let you route and, and, and connect as it will. So that's kind of a, a difference in, in philosophy and approach to the, to the two out there. Um, the construct exists out, exist out there. There's there's ACLs that you can apply to your subnet, so you can have you know some um, some uh, you know stateless uh, control in in Amazon. In in Azure, um, you really have uh, uh, only one mechanism. Uh, there's called a network security group, and that exists for both uh, protecting a uh, uh, an instance of VM out there. Uh, as well as your subnets, they use the same construct. Where in Amazon, they they separate it into two things. Uh, one is a security group, which is basically your ACL for a, for a VM, and the other is a, uh, an ACL that actually exists on your subnet. So roughly the same, and you have some control out there, but you know it's not nearly the same kind of control you're going to have on prem network wise. Um, but it's all it's all scriptable. Um, it's all you can generate it very quickly, and that's really the 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 wonderful part about it, right? You can spin up a yeah. whole production environment in a matter yeah. of minutes, uh, which Correct. is very powerful. Yeah. And I yeah, think that. one of the interesting things as we think about cloud is like, it's just a new set of constraints. There are certain things that are so much easier and so much faster, but there are new constraints like this mm -hmm. hundred prefix limit, like, you know, in AWS, your VPC, you can't transit traffic through yes. it. Like if traffic comes into it, it has to be destined inside that VPC or it's going from that VPC somewhere else, but you can't yeah. route through it, which is different with Azure. And, and uh, you know, there is a construct called a transit VPC in AWS that you can use to transit traffic, but you know, there, it's, it's, it's new constraints. It's not a constraint-free world like sometimes it's marketed as, it's just a yeah. whole new set of constraints. Yeah, and, and, and things like that, where you say, oh gee, you can use this architecture, you know, you hear from the cloud providers, you could use a transit VPC. Well, when you use a transit VPC, you know, all you're doing is, is giving yourself more constraints, right? Because a transit VPC, you can't use the, the structure that's out there, the routing that's out there, right? What you're talking about is you're hooking your, your VPCs up to um, an instance that has like a Cisco CSR, virtual CSR out there or something like that, right? I mean, so then you start... In introducing, okay, I got to pay for instances running to do my routing, and you start questioning, well, why am I doing this, right? If if everything's supposed to be a service out there, now I'm maintaining instances of routers. It's like from a networking perspective, I'm sure most network people would be like, 
how many different things do I have to do here? I have a device that's virtual. I have, you know, Amazon services underneath it, you know, then it's difficult to manage, right? Cause you've got a million different things doing routing. And um, it, it's, it's tough when you go down that path, I think of, of, of trying to solve some of those issues. Let's talk about connectivity types. Cause I think we've kind of, we've kind of touched on them. We, you know, I think the introductory beginner, when you first want to get connected, just drop a VPN into, right? Like that's the simplest of the options. Mm -hmm. what, what other kind of options are there for connecting to cloud environments? As you grow, you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what are some of the options? Um, the, the VPN is the first one, obviously. And, uh, you know, all the providers support the ability to, to uh, identify a VPN, uh, provide redundant connections if you want to, all the rest of that. Um, the next space you, you go into is, um, you know, both for Amazon and, and, and Azure, um, and Google too, um, you get your, your direct connect, your dedicated connection, uh, which is um, in Azure, it's Express Route, in Amazon, it's, it's a direct connect. Um, those can have redundant circuits, uh, right? You could have multiple direct connects that are redundant. Uh, you can bond them together up to 10 of them at a time. Uh, so, you know, your 10 gig connection, you could have 10 of those. And, you know, we have, I've seen customers that, you know, have run, you know, massive load jobs to push data up there and a bonded like, you know, uh, four 10 gig connections to push a ton of data up into to Amazon for S3 storage. Um, you know, so you have that. You can you can even do combinations where, like in Amazon, you know, you could have a primary via direct connect, and your your failover is VPN. So it kind of sale saves you a little bit of money, so you don't have to buy two direct connects. So there's a couple options there that uh, that people do. Um, and those would be your traditional circuits, like you drop an MPLS circuit, or you could drop a direct point to point circuit, or is there limitations yeah, the on that? Connect Direct Connect itself, you can drop whatever you want into the to the um, you know the the entry point. Um, a lot of them they have a list of different providers where you can actually um, you know have a pop to get into a Direct Connect, and then you pay obviously that the, from wherever that pop is. Say it's like in an Equinix, right? Um, they cross connect over into Amazon uh, from. Say, so so we're we're talking here about uh, cross connect at a. At, yes. you know, some sort, some sort yes. of transit provider. Yeah, appearing point. So we're, we're, we're going to, yeah. yeah, we might have a device that sits in Equinix that we drop our way in circuit to, and then right. from yeah. there off of our router, we run across connect over. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Exactly. And that's and, right. And when you talk about connectivity, then all your carriers have a, their own service, right? Well, they will connect up your MPLS network to a cloud and, mm -hmm. and provide some value added services. Um, you have to watch those, though, because they will have their own set of constraints on top of the cloud provider constraints. And so you'll pay your cloud provider like AWS or Azure for the Express Router Direct Connect mm -hmm. service, which has a bandwidth fee. And then you'll pay for your circuit and also maybe any value added services that your carrier is providing. So, mm -hmm. you know, it. it it's complex. There are lots of services and everybody wants to sell you cloud. And, mm -hmm. and so it's, and, and a lot of times your carriers will go in and say, Hey, this cloud connectivity stuff, just pay us a bunch of money and we'll take care of it all for you. And then, you know, you may find that they have some constraints that cause you problems. Um, so it's just really important. Again, understand what you need, understand what your carriers offering you, you know, way. And it's really hard because most of us are ignorant or still just barely learning about cloud and there's not a lot of uh, information about best practices. So. Yeah. Right. Reference architecture is very, very, very slight out there. And the ones everyone's telling you there are multiple ways, but uh, the way Scott's talking about it is, is, is really the, the most thorough and most efficient way across connect through one of those uh, point of presences. Right. If you go to, I mean, it's sometimes these providers give you an easier way in, but sometimes there's limitations. Like one customer had a direct connect and it went through one of these providers and they found out that uh, they couldn't use a direct connect in the way that, that they thought they could. And that is when I drop a direct connect into, you know, an account in AWS, I can share that direct connect with any other account and multiple VPCs. Uh, when you go through a provider, sometimes there's limitations where, oh, it's just we hook you up through ours. It really isn't a full direct connect, and that's why we give it to you cheaper. And guess what? You only connect one VPC at a time. And if you want to connect more, then we charge you for each one, and all of a sudden it gets ridiculous. So, um, you know, I guess the, the, the word of advice would be, you know, control your own destiny, right? Um, I think if you can, do. 
uh, it usually works out better. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I think I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I feel like there might be a whole other episode that we could do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think uh, I think there's six more episodes. Yeah, I, I, I was I was wondering if I said even beyond that because uh, there's just so much to this, and it's just yeah. it's it's funny where we start with the fact that you know developers are connecting themselves and then we get to the end and it's like oh yeah we can talk about all of the constraints and the details around the architecture and engineering and we could you know fill six podcasts worth of content and there's still um, lots of networking still so learn bgp <laughs> yes, please learn bgp please yeah yeah it's important that's what it's all right developers <laughs> all right so before we uh before we stop here, though, I want to give you guys an opportunity to uh, tell people where they can find you. Uh, Miguel, uh, why, don't you, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so Miguel Villarreal, uh, principal at Villatech. You can find us on www, www that's three W's, <laughs> I'm sorry, dot villa, V-I-L-L-A hyphen tech dot com. And um, yeah, that's probably the best place to reach us. Awesome. Scott? Uh, Scott Wheeler, I'm a principal cloud architect at uh, Asperitas Consulting. Uh, you can find us, uh, Asperitas is A-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S, consulting.com. I'm also on Twitter, D. Scott Wheeler uh, on Twitter. Uh, I usually try to post things that I find are, are interesting um, in both Azure and AWS. Uh, I, you know, scour blogs and that. A lot of people don't have time to do that, so I, I try to filter that out and... Uh, so please, uh, you know, follow me and, uh, and hopefully it's useful information. Awesome. How about you, Yvonne? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me snarking on Twitter um, at uh, Sharp Network or on the blog at esharp.net. There has been more snark lately, I think. Has, has, <laughs> yeah, has, I need to get has, a handle on it. Has the snark level increased? It feels like it's increased. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right. And for me, uh, I am at BC Jordo on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at my blog, jordanmartin.net. Uh, if you like this episode, you can find many more like it at our website. Uh, that is thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, all of our video recordings are on Vimeo. Uh, so if you uh, like, like those versions of the, of the episodes, you can go uh, subscribe to us there. Uh, audio is released on iTunes and all the regular podcatchers. So if, uh, if you prefer the, uh, the episodes that way, in fact, subscribe to both. It just, it just solve both uh, or kill two birds with one stone there. Uh, if you want to chat with us, we're on some social media as well. We're on Facebook. You can follow us there. We're also on Twitter as at NetCollectivePC. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.